know there is a phrase in the Bible that says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And sometimes when we get together and worship him, his presence is quite palpable in our midst. And uh, thank you. Thank you for calling down the presence of God. Uh, I get to enjoy that along with all of you. And so, amen. Amen. Well, I know that some of you were largely in doubt as to whether or not I could actually pull off finishing the Sermon on the Mount series by the end of August. Well, I am here to tell you, you should be proud of me, for today we will officially finish the greatest message ever preached by the greatest person who has ever lived. His name is Jesus. This series on a very personal level has been one of the more challenging series that I've ever studied for and shared. And really, in a personal level, it's also been one of the more transformational series that I have ever done. There's something about a very, very focused uh, look at the Christ life that really challenges and changes who we are. And so uh, today, I am going to say it. Please take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 7 one last time as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. And so we finish up with some very familiar words. In fact, they have actually been committed to a cute little children's uh, rhyme. And these are those words. Jesus says that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and I've got to do this, and who does them is like a wise man who is building his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came up, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the... Very good. The other side of this story is not quite so happy. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, these words being his message that he has just shared, will be like a foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. And when the rains fell and the floods came up and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell. Now, I need your assistance to do this last phrase. I want you to take your hands and go like that. All together now. Okay, one more time. Just make sure we get it right. One more time. Just make sure we get it right. Very good. And great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we have been walking through these words of your Son, our Savior, your love gift to us now for many weeks. And uh, they culminate today uh, with this decision as to whether or not we are going to embrace what he says to us or if we're just going to keep on living our lives the way we want. And I pray today that in light of what's in front of us, we may hear Jesus like we've never heard him before, and we may consider deeply what he has to say to us. Father, please, give us your spirit's enablement, I pray, in the name of Christ. And the people of God said, amen. 
Today we have come to the end of the message, and if anybody wants a copy of the outline, I'd be happy to give it to you, just so you can go back and review it yourself. But Jesus is basically saying to us, it is time to make a choice. It is time for you to choose. And so, after speaking for what is perhaps mm, 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes, we don't know exactly how long it took Jesus to proclaim what he was saying here in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. You can read it through in about 17 minutes, but something tells me Jesus didn't have a manuscript that he was just kind of reading through to the people. But rather, Jesus gave inflection and pregnant pauses and that awkward stare. He kind of did this throughout his message to kind of prepare the people to receive what he was saying. So exactly how long it took him to do it, we don't really know. But all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been carefully laying out what it means to be his disciple, what it means to be his follower. And when he opened up with his opening words, he made it very clear that anyone can be his follower. That Jesus Christ is more than happy to receive anyone who will come to him. He opened up with his first word, blessed. It means happy. Blessed of God are you if you are poor in spirit. That, that the idea is, is that you have been humbled by the challenges of life. Blessed are you. When you're in that condition, for yours will ultimately be the kingdom of heaven because you've been properly positioned to come to me. Blessed are those who mourn. This is where you're hurting and you're grieving because the loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream because you will be comforted. And he goes on, he says, blessed, 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 blessed. He was saying, anyone who wants to come to me, anybody who, who is willing through the challenges and trials of life or, or their own heartache or their own, their own awkward uh, inward soul. Anyone who wants to come to me, it's not contingent upon your position or your power or your wealth or your intellectual ability or your physical prowess. Anyone who wants to can be my disciple. But, you knew there had to be a but in there, right? But, to do so means that we are no longer going to be in control of our own lives. To be his disciple is for anyone willing to give him exclusive rights over their hearts and minds and lives, who's ever willing to come to him and give back to him the life that we have taken in the rebellion against the Father. If you're willing, he'll receive you. And so Jesus kind of ends this whole message with two basic possibilities that we can walk away with. And these two basic possibilities are, are found in this very straightforward illustration that he gives us. And he tells us, the hearers, what we should do. And then he also tells us what we can expect as consequences based upon our choice. So as we're looking at this, the first opportunity he gives us, if you will, the number one uh, choice we can make is the wise choice. The wise choice to become his disciple. So he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who has built his house upon the rock. Wise. The Bible speaks of wise people as being those who are discerning, who make good choices. Because when the rain falls, when life happens, when the floods come, yes it will, and the wind blows and beats on that house, it will not fall because it has been founded on the rock. So, 
The wise choice to become his disciple, the wise choice of obedience. And so the hearers that day would have perceived him saying these words. While he says, uh, while it's recorded in our English Bibles that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, literally in the order in which they're given in the original language, it says this. Everyone, therefore, who hears me. Everyone, therefore, who hears me, these words of mine, and does them. So what Jesus is doing as he closes off his message is he's now pointing the finger at himself. Everyone here who's willing to hear me. You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus was the one that they had been looking for for hundreds of years in fulfillment of the promised anointed one of God who was coming on the scene. Jesus' message that he gives says, I'm him. I'm just not another rabbi. I'm not just another guy with a cool philosophy of life. If you really perceive the truth that I am the Christ of God, the promised anointed one of God, then you understand what I'm calling you to. If you really understand, if you really get it, you know what I'm calling you to. And you will be willing to do it. And so, what is Jesus calling us to? Looking back over the Sermon on the Mount, let me just summarize. Jesus is basically saying this. Come to me. Remember, it's all about him. He's putting the finger on himself. If you hear me, these words of mine, it's all about me. If you come to me through repentance and faith, turning from yourselves and your sin to me, restoring again back to God the life we stole in the rebellion in the garden, we were originally created to glorify God. Our original intent and purpose in the creation was that we would live with God and love God and follow God and do what God wants and, and to enjoy him forever. Sin entered in and stole us away. The rebellion is us taking from God his creation. So come to me through repentance and faith, turning from yourself and sin to me. Enter by the narrow gate. I'm the narrow gate. Come to me. Now follow me. This is what Jesus is saying. Come to me, follow me along life, uh, the hard road, and in loving obedience, I will make you salt and light in a very unpalatably dark world, enabling you to bring glory to the God the Father who is in heaven. That's his statement. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's been showing us that we are to come back to him and to live the life we were originally intended and designed to live. Thus, you will be building your house, a.k.a. your life, upon the rock, the solid truth of my word, which will allow you to endure the storms of life, and you will be able to stand in the day of judgment. Amen? This is what Christ has been urging those people to do. This is what today the voice of Christ is urging us to do. It is time to make a decision. We can't just hear these words and placidly go on. We need to make a decision. So the first decision is what I would call the wise choice to become his disciple. It is the wise choice of obedience. And so that's focused around coming to the rock of the word and responding with obedience to him. Now the other way that we can choose to respond is what he refers to as the foolish choice. The foolish choice. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them 
will be likened unto a foolish man. Now, in the Bible, a fool is never a person who has mental incapacities. A fool is somebody who has moral problems. They willfully, willingly reject. And so the foolish choice is the choice of disobedience. Everyone who says, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew, and against it, it beat that against that house, and it fell. And say it with me. Great was the fall of it. So what Jesus is basically saying here is that if you fail to truly appreciate who I am speaking to you, the Messiah of God, the Christ, the Son of God, if you fail to perceive my authority and really understand who I am, you'll not take me seriously. You won't heed what I'm having to say to you. If you will, you will simply listen politely, and then you will go right on living your life the way you want to, and you will do whatever you think is in your best interest. After all, it is your life, right? And thus, you will be building your house, a.k.a. your life, on the sand. The shifting sands of your passions and pleasures, the world's latest good ideas and philosophies, which will prove to be unstable when assailed by life's challenges, and you will miserably fail in the day of judgment. And it fell flat, and great was the fall of it. That's the last thing Jesus says. And great was the fall of it. You're thinking, <laughs> you know, Jesus, you started off really well. Blessed, 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 blessed. Happy, 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 happy. Everybody's included. Woohoo! But by the time he gets to the end of his story, the, his speech, his, his message, he ends on this kind of off note, downbeat in the minor key. What's up with that? You know, happy, 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 and now you're saying, and great was the, here we go. How great was the fall of it? No more words. And you know, Jesus, that's not how you do good speech making. You're supposed to make people feel positive. You're supposed to make people feel motivated and happy that you know, they were there. But why such seriousness? Why does he end so almost abruptly? Because what he is calling them to and us to is a very serious thing. He is calling us to give over control of our lives to him. You don't ever do that easily. You know, some of you are thinking back to when you met Christ and you wrestled greatly with this concept of, of coming to Christ and giving him my life. Because it's not an easy thing to give up self-ownership. It's not an easy thing to give up self-will. And, and so Jesus is saying, this is a serious decision. This is a serious undertaking. You don't just happen into the Christ life. You don't just make your way along merrily and realize, whoa, look where I am. It's a decision. It's a serious decision to literally abdicate your life and give it to Christ. And so that's why he ends on this kind of somber tone because, you know, I can't say anymore. I have talked for 20 minutes. Now it's up to you. What's your decision? How are you going to respond? What are you going to do? 
And so in a very real way, that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has walked us through this cute little story that kids like to do, and it's funny. But he's basically saying, yeah, it's time to choose. The choice is up to you now. Are you going to cast your lot in with me, or are you going to go on your merry way? By the way, there are consequences for either. I guess my question to you is, have you chosen? Have you chosen to cast your lot in with Christ? You say, I haven't made a decision yet. Well, you've made a decision. No decision is a decision. And so I want to challenge you with Jesus' words today to make the right decision, the wise decision, the obedient decision, to let go of your life and give it to Christ so that he can give you his life that will ultimately change your life. This is what I want for you. And, and so uh, let me kind of summarize quickly, and then I want to walk us into some thoughts to help you make this choice. In summary, there is the, if you will, there is the wise way, the way of being Jesus' disciple through the narrow gate by repentance and faith, leading to a fruitful and stable life of obedience to God's word, and that will eventuate an eternal life and entrance into God's eternal kingdom. That's the wise way. Now, let's consider the other way. There is also my way. This is the foolish way, continuing to tread the wide road of self and selfishness, doing what I want when I want, resulting in an unfruitful life of instability, ending in exclusion from God's kingdom, and eternal destruction. It can't be any plainer than that. What's your choice? Human will is so stubborn. To let go of self is the hardest thing we will ever, ever, ever do. And so this is a very serious decision. I want to help you if you're wrestling with what this really means and embracing Christ fully and giving over control to him. Uh, Jesus gave us a couple of parables that talked about estimating the cost, that, that talk about understanding the price. One was an illustration of a man who was building a tower. Before you actually do the project, you want to step back and say, what is this going to cost me? Lest you start the tower and be unable to finish it and then become nothing more than a laughingstock. Nobody wants that. So really think about what it's going to cost you. The other illustration he gave us is, is a man who was preparing to go to war. He was kind of the king over a nation. And as an advancing army is coming, it would be good for him to estimate the size of the force coming against him. Because if he doesn't estimate carefully and he goes out against that force, it could destroy everything. So rather, he's to estimate it, and if it's too great a force, he's, he's going to try to negotiate peace. So... He gives us these illustrations of being careful, thinking it through, realizing the cost and the price. The cost is ultimately our lives given to him. But let me show you what that means today. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus isn't here anymore. It was so easy back when Jesus was on the earth, back when he preached these words. 
He was physically there, and he was basically talking to real people, and he was basically saying, okay, now's your chance. Choose. Cast your lot in with me or not. And those people who chose to would simply leave their occupations, they would leave their livelihood, and they would literally join Jesus, and they would walk with Jesus, and they would talk with Jesus, and they would eat with Jesus, and they would camp out with Jesus. So it was very easy in that day to know what it meant to follow him. It just meant you gave your life to him, and you followed him, and he taught you. But Jesus isn't here anymore. Have you noticed that? So what does that mean for us today? If, if Jesus isn't physically with us, then what is he actually calling us to do? Jesus told us that he was going to give us some resources that were going to fill in behind him that were actually better than having him. Actually better than having his presence physically with us. Those resources just in summation really quick and then we'll drop back and look at these in the next few minutes is this it is the spirit of god it is the word of god and it is the people of god this is how jesus calls and grows disciples today because he's no longer physically with us as he was many years ago. So let's talk about exactly what that means today. If I, if I put my lot in with Jesus, what does it actually look like? Let's begin with this thing called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is ultimately Christ's gift to those who repent of their sins and put faith in him. Jesus said to his followers in his day that it was actually needful for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. He said this in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus was amazing when he was on earth. Amen. And so Jesus walked this earth, and he did amazing things. He drew people to himself. It was, it was awesome. But you know what? Jesus, because he was geographically limited and physically in a body, all he could do was basically have um, three intimate guys. There was Peter, James, and John. Those were the closest followers of Jesus. Then he had that dozen, if you will, three and the other nine. And so he had these guys that were kind of the guys who walked with him. He called them to be his representatives after he left. And then there were about 120 other people, we're told, in Acts chapter 1 in the upper room, who were also his followers or disciples. So Jesus, in a physical body, could actually minister to about three people intimately, nine other guys on a personal level, and then about 120 people. That's it. So basically what Jesus is saying is this. Because this is going to be a worldwide movement, I'm going to have to be able to do more than this personally. And so it's needful for you that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. And he can now be with you. And so the Holy Spirit can go worldwide in the hearts of everyone who, by repentance and faith, embraces Christ, and he's with us 24-7. Amen? Jesus was limited in his physical body, but the Holy Spirit, which he would send, is not limited. You know, um, I think sometimes we think, you know, that's kind of cool. But I'd rather have Jesus. How many would rather have Jesus? You know, physically here, talking with me, guiding me, helping me. That's awesome. But you know what? Jesus actually does something better. We have a hard time believing this. But Jesus 
is actually giving to us the very person, the very dynamic, the very presence, and the very power of God that actually caused him to be inserted into the womb of Mary, that actually enabled him to be born into this world, that actually enabled him to grow up and minister for Christ, uh, for the Father, in a perfect way, in the same power that ultimately caused him to work all the miracles and do everything that honored the Father. When Jesus died, it's the same power that raised him from the dead. So what Jesus is giving to us is not the B team. You know, the guy who comes in off the bench because I'm done? And I think we think of the Holy Spirit like that. But Jesus made it clear that everything he did was under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. For he whom God has sent, referring to himself, uh, Christ, utters the very words of God. For the Father gives him the Spirit without measure. Jesus did everything he did under the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm going to send somebody else to help you, we're thinking, but Jesus, I want you. But he's saying, no, you don't get it. What I've done, I've done in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you my spirit. So that's no little thing. That's like, that's like no B team. The Holy Spirit is not coming off the bench as a sub. The Holy Spirit is not the B team. The Holy Spirit is the goat. You're like, goat. Isn't that a bad thing in the Bible, a goat? Greatest of all time. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some, oh, we can't have Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the gift of Christ in our lives. It doesn't get any better than this. So the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into our lives, and he, upon repentance and faith, gives us a new heart in life. Je uh, Jesus told Nicodemus this, and Jesus answering him, Nicodemus said, Truly, truly, that's always said like that, to draw attention. This is really important. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a powerful statement. Unless there is a new heart and life in your life, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Uh, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I hear this plea from Jesus to come and give my life to him and to follow him. When I come in repentance and faith, Christ sends his spirit into my heart, takes out the stony heart of rebellion, and puts in place in my chest a new heart, a new longing, new desires, new, new um, uh, desire for God and in his word. So the Holy Spirit literally births into our lives when we come to him like that. And then the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to give us new life where we can now live for Christ and honor him. Jesus isn't here, but his spirit is. The Apostle Paul uh, gave us a similar statement when he said this in Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the flesh means an unrepentant, un, unconverted, unredeemed state. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He was telling the people in Rome. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. We know today those who are Christ and those who aren't. Those who are Christ have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. 
And if you remember last week, Francis Chan's words, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's no little thing. It's the very power of God dwelling in your heart, transforming your life. This is what Jesus gives us when we come to him in repentance and faith today. No longer do we have the physical Jesus, but now we have the Spirit of God who dwells in our hearts and lives. I just want a quick, a little side note here, uh, just to help you understand how the scriptures kind of flow. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we see Jesus' life being lived out. Jesus lived out his life in a Jewish context. He was born a Jew, grew up a Jew, and ministered in a Jewish context. So when he positioned himself as the anointed one, Rabbi Jesus, everybody knew what a rabbi was, and it meant if you're going to follow the rabbi, you're going to come in submission to the rabbi. That was a very well-known understanding in the Jewish context. But when Jesus died and rose again, and the gospel went worldwide, and it began to actually infiltrate the, uh, the Gentile context, those who were non-Jews, those people who didn't have much of a conception of a rabbi in a, in a disciple relationship, the Apostle Paul switched up metaphors. And in the Roman world, where they knew Caesars and they knew lords, they, he now says, I'm not asking you to be a disciple of this rabbi. I'm asking you to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They understood what that meant in that day. So you're coming under the lordship of Jesus, and I'm going to be his doulos. I'm going to be his servant. I'm going to be his slave. They understood that in the Roman world. And now I get the Holy Spirit so that I can honor and do what the Lord wants. Over here, I am a disciple who will do what the rabbi wants. So same concepts, just different words, because one doesn't connect to the other. And so the same idea of the lordship of Christ plays out today in our lives. So, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, first of all, that which Christ gives to us when we come to him today in response to his words. But secondly, not only do we have the Holy Spirit or the word uh, or the spirit of God, we also have this thing called the living and active word of God. The living and active word of God. So the living word, Jesus had his followers commit his teachings to the written word so that we could know what Jesus wants from us. And the Bible says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. You will read many, many books. Amen? I hope you do. makes you smart. But this is the only book that will read you. This book is different than any other book that has ever been written because it has been written by the Spirit of God to be at work in the hearts where he brings life. And so the Word of God now becomes that which is guiding us and transforming us and challenging us with the very words of Jesus. So we have the Spirit of God who gives us a new heart. We have the Word of God which now comes inside of that heart and brings transformation as I seek to become more like the person of Jesus Christ. And indeed, the Word of God is sufficient for faith and faithfulness. All Scripture is breathed out by God himself. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped 
for every good work. How many own a Bible? Okay, good. If you don't have one, talk to me. I'll get you one. It's important that you have a copy of the living God's Word. This is how God speaks to our hearts today. And I think sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, it's like a big history book, or it's like a big difficult book to read, and boy, I've been listening to Job lately, man, that dude's in big muck. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a complicated book to get. But I think it might be helpful if we viewed the Word of God just a little different. I like the way that Francis Chan puts it. Think about this in how you read the Word. I guess at the core of who I am is I want to be a guy who trembles at his word. That the picture that comes to my mind is uh, Matthew 17, the transfiguration. Remember when he takes Peter and John up on the mountain and, uh, and suddenly his face starts shining, you know, and his whole body starts glowing. I mean, you, you think about that moment where this person you've been with, now suddenly you're on a mountaintop with him and he just starts glowing. I mean, you must have just been, they just must have been terrified. But then it says that they see this great white cloud coming towards them and they're enveloped in this cloud. And so, all, you know, Peter and John knew exactly what that was, right? You know, here's, here's that glory cloud of God. Now they are before Jesus who is glowing. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and now this cloud surrounds them, Moses and Elijah, everything's going on, but then they hear this voice out of the cloud going, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And I picture myself on that mountain going, I, I mean, try to imagine surviving that, being on that mountaintop, seeing Jesus glowing, seeing the cloud coming, and you're enveloped in it, and Moses and Elijah come down, and you hear that voice come out of that cloud, and he says, this is my son, listen to him. I mean, I just picture myself just beside myself, going, okay, whatever he says, anything he says, I'll do. Whatever he says, I will do right now. Amen. Like, so, that's why I want to yes. be with this book. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that just came from the cloud. I just yeah. heard from God. What, what, what? True religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. Okay, okay. Um, I, I need to care for the widows and the orphans. I, I got to do something. That was the, that's true religion. That's the word of God. Like this is the part of discipleship that I, I really believe we're missing is not just the passing on the information, but the, the example of a man or woman of God who trembles at his word and said, look, that's what the word says. So I did that this week and to pass that on to your disciples. Amen. We have been given the Spirit of God to come into us and to give us a new heart with new longings and new desires, a desire to honor the Father above all. We have been given the Word of God to guide us to understand what God wants in an effort to please Him. Uh, Jesus said it, my sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. If they're my sheep, they will hear it, they will do it. He would said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John, 1 John, put it this way. 
He said, by this we know that we have come to know him. Again, this is an assurance verse. If we choose to chart our lives according to the word of God. And then ultimately, so what we have here is the very words of Christ that we should tremble in fear before. I mean, I think we should do them. But not only the commands of Christ that he had written for us to have, but we also have the example of Christ of what it looks like to actually walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus models it for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think that's why John could say this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So we have been given the resource of the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, giving our lives to him. He invests his Holy Spirit in us, gives us a new heart, gives us new longings, new desires. He gives us his word, which now speaks to us in volumes. And then, and I'm going to push through some stuff just because of the time. Uh, this is all amazing stuff, and you're going to really regret that I didn't share it with you, but that's okay. We'll just keep on moving. Uh, keep on moving. Okay, here we go. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word, which transforms our hearts. But the third thing that Christ commits into his desire to make disciples in our lives is not just the Spirit of God, not just the Word of God, but also he commits this thing called the people of God. He gives us this thing called the church. We all need help, amen? There is no lone rangers in the Christian life. There's none of us who can do it on our own. We all need help. We all need love. We all need encouragement. We all need accountability if we're going to be successful in following Jesus and becoming like Jesus. That's why Jesus formed this thing called the church. He said, um, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he left and he sent the Holy Spirit to birth the church on the day of Pentecost so there would be a community of people who could walk together to ask each other and encourage each other in the teachings and commands of Christ. We can't do it on our own. The beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, every time you find the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you find life. The Holy Spirit is, is that which hovered over the face of the deep in the very beginning in the creation and caused life to spring forth out of nothing. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually inserted the Christ into the womb of Mary and gave him life there. The Holy Spirit is the one who literally raised Jesus from the dead and brought him back to life. And then in Acts chapter 2, you see that the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and gives life to this thing called the church. The Holy Spirit is the active force of God in the world bringing life. And so by coming to Christ, we get that life in ourselves. So this thing called the church, Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, 19 and, 18 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go therefore and make what? One more time. That's right. Jesus was calling people to himself to be the disciples of a rabbi. So now that Jesus is going off the scene, he is committed to his followers the mission of making disciples, followers of his. That's why we're here. That's what this church is about. And again, you, you see it every week, and after a while it gets to be part of the woodwork. Uh, but the truth of the matter is this. We are here to live and to love like Jesus and to help others do the same because that's the mission of Christ in the world. That's what the church has been given 
four. We cannot do it without the church. We cannot do it without the word, and there's no life apart from the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to push through some more stuff here, and uh, we'll actually talk about this in a couple of weeks. And uh, there we go. Jesus issues forth the command, be wise, give up your lives, and come follow me. And if you do, I will give to you my Holy Spirit, who will enter into your life and give you a new heart. I will give you my word, and it will speak to you and it will challenge you with the very teachings and commands of Christ as well as his example of what it looks like to love the Father through this. And then ultimately, I'm giving you my church so that you can grow in this with a community of people who are likewise struggling to realize this in their own lives. And my mission isn't done until you actually go into your community and make more disciples because that's what this project's about. It's about bringing people back to the original creation where they can again worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So, what's your decision? It's time to choose. Are you just going to stick there and do your own thing and come and go and, and not really respect who this is coming from, God himself? Or are you going to bend the knee and acknowledge Christ's ownership of you and give your life back to him in repentance and faith? That's the question. And great was the fall of it. Don't let that be your life. Don't let that be your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to talk to God. I'm not going to give you any magic words because there are no magic words. It's about your heart. And so what I'm simply going to do is I'm going to guide us into a prayer. And this is for you and God. You can carry on this conversation in your heart with him. But I want to guide you in this and give you an opportunity today to, to make this choice, to give yourself back to the one who loves you and wants to redeem you. So we're going to pray. When we pray, we normally bow our heads. So I want to invite everybody just to bow your head right where you're sitting. Nobody's looking around. We're just, we're just getting ready to talk to God. We're in his presence. I want to encourage you right now to humble yourself before him. Because there is no way to approach God that doesn't include humility. Right now before the creator right now before the king humble yourself now in his presence acknowledge your need of him admit your rebellion admit that you 
have taken the life that God created for his glory and you have consumed it upon yourself. Admit. The Bible calls it sin. Admit your rebellion. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, eternal destruction. In humility, in the presence of God, admit to him that you stole something that belongs to him, your life. Now, repent. Repentance means to turn from your willful rebellion, to turn from your sin and your selfishness, and to mentally, emotionally, and morally return to God that which he owns. Repentance means end the rebellion. Enough. It's over. Now, place your life fully in the hands of the one who loves you so. By faith, by trust, commit your life to Christ. If you repent, and if you commit yourself to Christ, what he will do is he will forgive you. He will remove your guilt. He will give to you a new heart by placing his Holy Spirit in your life. He is now giving you his word to read and to know him. He has given you his people to be loved by and to be encouraged by in this journey. Now walk with him in love. Walk with him in love. Father, I pray right now that perhaps... Um, some folks have dealt with um, their hearts. Some folks have understood their rebellion. Some folks have today made the decision, the smart, wise choice of obedience to embrace Christ with their life. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring uh, a sense of, of assurance there, a reality of his presence in their life, and that you would bless them deeply and richly. Father, thank you for the message of Jesus. May we who know him go on to live for him and to bring a smile to our Father's face. Thank you, Father. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. And the people of God said, amen. I don't know what decision you made today. Maybe you just reaffirmed one that you've made in the past. That's awesome. But maybe today is the day that you finally get it. It's not about you. It's about him. 
I'd love to have that conversation with you. You can just come alongside and say, hey, Pastor Bill. Hey, I'd say, whoa, all the angels in heaven rejoice. Let's have a party. I like doing that. Every time somebody gets saved, when I have the chance to lead somebody to Christ, I go out and buy ice cream. That's my excuse before God to have a party. So please, let me eat ice cream if you've made that decision. I'm going to bid you a great day. Next week, we come back, and we're going to build our thoughts around the table, uh, the Lord's table. God bless you. Have a great week.